Welcome to the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. Every week we examine a chapter from the Bible and share music filled with God's Word. You can find our weekly content by searching Adams Road Podcast on your podcast app. Let's start today by listening through Acts chapter 9, verses 26 to 43. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the way and that he had spoken to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. He was with them entering into Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. He spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. When the brothers knew it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the assemblies throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were built up. They were multiplied, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. As Peter went throughout all these parts, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years because he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he arose. All who lived at Lydda and in Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which when translated means Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and acts of mercy which she did. In those days, she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. As Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Peter got up and went with them. When he had come, they brought him into the upper room. All the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and raised her up. Calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. He stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Verse 30. When the brothers knew it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. All right, from this point in time, when Paul was sent off to Tarsus, it turns out to be about a decade would pass before Saul would be sent out as a missionary from Antioch. Before that season of prominent ministry, there was this transitional period in Saul's life. There's little known or written about what Saul did in that time. He was probably learning and growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus and learning from Jesus himself. 
Paul says, for example, in Galatians about the gospel he preached, For I did not receive it from any man, nor as I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's Galatians 1.12. Also, Saul was no use to God if he was dead. <laughs> Remember he had to be let down in a basket because they were trying to kill him? So Saul's time in obscurity perhaps allowed things to simmer down a bit. In the story and progression of Saul, he was first Saul the Pharisee, then Saul the persecutor, then Saul the convert, and Saul the preacher. Eventually, he would become Saul the missionary and finally come to be known as Paul the apostle. God worked in Saul's life in steps. Though Saul's calling as apostle to the Gentiles was foreordained by God, it appears there was a process that would lead to that office and particular season of ministry. This should be an encouragement for those of us who find ourselves getting impatient at times, wanting to see things move faster than they are as it pertains to how God uses us for His kingdom. Time is a blessing as God uses it to test us and build our character. As we mature in Christ and show ourselves faithful in the little things, He gives more, usually in steps. When I first got saved, God got my attention in some dramatic ways to redirect the course of my life as a new believer in Christ. I believe He gave me a sort of vision regarding some of the future things I'd be called to do and how He was going to use me for His kingdom. What I believe the Lord laid on my heart as a new believer took nearly a decade to come to fruition though. God's timing in those things is perfect. This early version of Saul, this recent convert and preacher, was obviously full of zeal and excitement to share Jesus, but perhaps God wanted to knock off some rough edges and refine Saul a little more before he'd set him loose to the world as quote-unquote Paul the Apostle. For example, consider what Paul himself wrote in Timothy about the need for leaders in the church not to be recent converts. He wrote, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And that's from 1 Timothy 2.6. Years ago, there was a man who had recently converted to Christianity from another religion. He had a TV show in Utah where he had a chance to discuss religious matters and publicly confront the works-based religious system he had left for biblical Christianity. He was given a huge platform to do public ministry and did so with zeal and passion. He soon had a huge following and ended up starting a church. However, being thrust into a prominent ministry platform so early into his walk with Christ proved to be too much to handle. It didn't appear his character and spiritual maturity was where it needed to be to take on such responsibilities within Christ's body. Tragically, this man has become a false teacher. Perhaps pride coupled with a lack of accountability led to the fall, as he seems to have drifted from the foundation of God's word in his teachings and brought others along for the ride. All right, so back to Acts 9 to recap. The believers in Jerusalem, upon seeing Saul's life was under threat here in verse 30, sent him off to Tarsus. Now, Tarsus was a university city, a center of Stoic philosophy, and right on the Mediterranean with a harbor. Sounds like a great stop for a Greek-speaking Jew like Saul, who was very learned 
and loved debating for the propagation of the gospel. Verse 31. So the assemblies throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were built up. They were multiplied, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Saul was the church's greatest persecutor. Then Saul is converted. His preaching of Christ as a new convert stirs up some trouble with the Jews. The believers then send Saul away to Tarsus when his life's in danger. After all of this drama and opposition, it sounds like the church in Jerusalem and the greater region finally got some peace. They had to send that crazy man Paul far off. And it says the believers multiplied. As we fulfill the Great Commission as Christians, the church continues to grow. The assemblies in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They had a reverent awe and respect for God and found comfort in the Spirit. All right, so the first part of the book of Acts focuses a lot on the Jerusalem church and the ministry of Peter. Saul comes into the picture with the stoning of Stephen at the end of Acts chapter 7. Chapters 8 and 9 have brought some attention to Saul's persecution of the church and his ensuing conversion to Christ. Now Luke, who penned the book of Acts, is going to redirect our attention back to Peter for a while. Eventually, the book of Acts will shift away from Peter with Jerusalem at the center of the story to Paul and his ministry to the Gentiles. All right, verses 32 and 33. As Peter went throughout all those parts, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years because he was paralyzed. I love how Peter wasn't just like sitting around, waiting for ministry opportunities to come to him. He was on the move. How many ministry opportunities do you think will come our way if all of our free time is spent sitting on the couch at home, eating talkies and watching Netflix series day after day? Guys, how many people are we going to encounter and engage if we hold ourselves up in our man caves at home all the time? Peter was out and about. He seemed to be searching out opportunities available to be used, and God used him. As Peter went around throughout all those parts, he found opportunities to minister to others. Verse 34, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he arose. We can see Peter emulating Jesus and how he ministered to others, even in the words he used. Get up and make your bed. In imitation of Jesus' healing of the paralytic man in Mark 2.10, Peter spent three years watching and learning from Jesus. And now Peter is doing many of the same works that Jesus did. The only difference is Jesus did those works by his own authority, where Peter did them in the authority and name of Jesus Christ. Verse 35, All who lived at Lydda and in Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. As God worked through Peter to heal Aeneas, others were impacted and turned to the Lord. What was God's purpose in working through Peter to heal Aeneas? Beyond the physical blessing of the healing Aeneas experienced, more importantly, those who witnessed it turned to the Lord. Likewise, in John chapter 9, the blind man was born as such so that the works of God might be displayed in him 
All right, moving on from verse 36. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which when translated means Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and acts of mercy, which she did. In those days she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. As Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Peter got up and went with him. When he had come, they brought him into the upper room. All the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Dorcas was full of good works and did acts of mercy. It's apparent she was loved dearly by the believers in Lydda, and they weren't ready to let her go. Moving on from verse 40, Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and raised her up. Calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Again, Peter emulates Jesus. Jesus had promised his disciples they would be doing the works he did. Just like Jesus told the dead man Lazarus to arise, now Peter uses a similar form of the same word to command the deceased woman to get up. I wonder though if Dorcas was actually happy to see Peter and the others or a little disappointed. I mean, when she opened her eyes, was she like, really guys, I was on my way to Jesus and now I'm back here with you all. I say that jokingly, of course, although the apostle Paul did teach that death isn't a bad thing for a Christian to live as Christ and to die as gain. And he also taught that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That said, God allowing Peter to bring Dorcas back must have been on account of the believers in Lydda who loved her, missed her and strongly benefited from the good works and acts of mercy she did. Verse 42, this became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Again, like the healing of Aeneas, God working through Peter to bring Dorcas back from the dead served a bigger purpose. Word spread about what had happened and many came to believe in Jesus. Verse 43, he stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. This is a big deal that Simon, meaning Peter, stayed with Simon the tanner. Tanners worked routinely with dead animals. Observant Jews at that time interpreted the law to mean that tanners were constantly ritually unclean. According to Jewish custom, tanners even had to live outside the village. So Peter's staying with the tanner reveals he is becoming less concerned about Jewish traditions and ceremonial ideas. Verse 43 is a great segue into Acts chapter 10, where Peter's attachment to Jewish traditions and some old covenant notions would be challenged by God himself. Enemies of God But by the death of His Son 
we've received reconciliation. God appeals to you through us. We urge you to be reconciled to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Reconciled to God yeah. By the blood of the cross We urge you to be Reconciled to God Through His Son Jesus lives of any value If we just finish our course And the ministry we have received From our Lord Jesus To witness of the grace of God you to be reconciled to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We urge you to be That was Reconciled from the Adams Road album, It's So Simple. The love of God was made manifest among us That He sent to us His only Son that we who were dead in our sins might know The great love that God has for us In this His love that He sent His Son As propitiation for our sins So we might live through Him And know that God is love There is nothing no tribulation, no death, no sword that can separate us, separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
That was God is Love from the Adams Road album, It's So Simple.
This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. You can learn more about us at AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Again, that's AdamsRoadMinistry.com. We release a new podcast episode every Saturday. Feel free to join us next week as we examine Acts chapter 10. Grace and peace be with you all.